Amen. Wasn't it wonderful to hear those testimonies? Amen. 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 You know, I want to share a very special verse with you. It's found in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, last book of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Let's start with verse 1. Revelation 22, starting with verse 1. Oftentimes, the book of Revelation is quoted at funerals more than it's quoted at regular church services. Look, let's look at verse 1 right now. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and on His name will be well, His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for this special time that we can share. But Lord, our heart's desire is that you would share with us. For whatever the reason that we're here tonight, we just pray that we would be open to the Spirit of God. That is our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I'm going to share my testimony, how I became a Christian. You know, somebody once said this, there are two important days in your life, the two most important days in your life. Number one, the day you are born, and number two, the day you discover why. You know what's going to be so amazing when we get to heaven? You know, we talk about all the wonderful things that are going to take place in heaven, but I believe that one of the most favorite parts the most blessed part of heaven is going to be is when we hear the testimonies of all the believers that were there. Do you know Job? Can you imagine when Job gets to heaven, right, at the second coming of Jesus, and he's asked to share his testimony, and he starts sharing his testimony of suffering and how God really ministered to him. You know what's very interesting? Job actually says in his own book, I wish that my words were written down. Do you know what Job's going to discover when he gets to heaven? Yeah, somebody's going to walk up to him and say, Hey, Job, check out your book. <laughs> Do you know Elisha the prophet? He's going to get to heaven one day. And just think about Elisha the prophet. He probably thought, Man, Elijah, the guy that, uh, you know, preceded me. The guy that I emulated. This guy went to heaven. He was translated. And then I, I died of sickness. But you know what's going to happen? An angel's going to come up to him and says, Elisha, I want you to know something. Even after you died, you were still doing miracles. And if you know the story of Elisha, when his body was put in a tomb, one day some men were trying to bury another dead body, and it touched the body of Elisha, and the man resurrected. I mean, just think about it. A dead man touched a dead man, and he became alive. I mean, how many people are going to have that testimony? 
I mean, just think about all the wonderful testimonies we're going to hear when we get to heaven. How exciting it is when we see the rest of the story, the wonderful context that we did not understand, and the beautiful moments when that person realized God was in their life and watched over them from the day they were born. What a time that will be. Amen? Amen. A beautiful of a time. Today I'm going to share my testimony, how I became a Christian. You know, it's very interesting. I was talking to somebody, somebody right there, and I said, you know what, I, um, I, I know all these people. I've seen them on Facebook. They're actually all my friends, but I've never met them in person. Now I was like, oh, that's who that person is. That's the one that posts those kinds of pictures. You know, and I was like, oh, okay, another dog lover like me. I just never said hi to them, you know? You know, it's going to be so amazing when we get to heaven and all the friendships. I mean, just think about the connections. The, the cause and effect, the, the ripple effect of someone's life and their influence, and generations later. I mean, just think about it. You know, Stephen, when he gets to heaven, he's going to see Paul there. And do you know who led, who was responsible also for the stoning of Stephen? Yeah, he's going to get there and he's going to be like, what? Okay. I know that guy. Why is he? Where am I at? You know what I mean? I mean, just think about it. I mean, just think about it. I mean, it, it is so amazing. You know, Marco Polo, the great explorer, when he actually went all the way to Asia, he spent some time with the Khans and saw parts of China. When he came back to Europe and he was on his deathbed and he told all the wonderful stories of all the things that he had seen and experienced and encountered, all the people did not believe him. They said, we've never heard of this before. This thing doesn't exist. What you are describing is not real. And then he says on his deathbed, I haven't even told you the half of it. I've just begun. Friends, what's given us in the book of Revelation is enough that should make us curious and desirous of heaven. Can you say amen to that? And that's what's exciting. So this is my testimony. I was actually born in Orange County, Southern California. Anybody here from Southern California? Yeah, most of you guys are from Southern California. <laughs> I've noticed that. I was actually born in Anaheim, Anaheim, California, Anaheim General Hospital. Lived my entire, you know, youth life in Buena Park in Cypress, California. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is what heaven's going to be like. You're going to be sharing testimony. Someone's going, yeah, I was there too, you know? And it's going to be, it's just, I mean, just think about it. I mean, here I am. I, I just grew up in Southern California. My parents actually immigrated from the northwest side of India. We come from the Punjab state of India. My family comes from a Sikh background. Sikhs are the ones that wear the turbans. I also come from a Hindu background. And in Hinduism, it's very interesting. Actually, Hindu theologians have a very difficult time trying to actually isolate the fundamentals of Hinduism because of how relative it is to certain Indi parts of India. In actually Hinduism, there's over 300 million deities. 300 million deities. Now, in addition to this, not only coming from a Sikh background or a, and a Hindu background, I also came from what's called um, satsangis. Satsangis are a sect of Hinduism in which there is a, a strong stress upon meditation and reincarnation. 
And so, for example, I grew up a vegetarian. Well before I was a Seventh-day Adventist, I knew what potlucks were and haystacks. <laughs> Except we called it, you know, a lunch where everybody brings food and taco salad at that time. So it was a smooth transition for me. But in addition to that, we grew up strongly in the, the belief of meditation. Um, oftentimes, my dad, he worked, he worked two jobs. He worked as a security guard, and he also worked as a janitor. He worked really hard to support his family. He wanted them to be educated and be the best that they can be. God bless our parents. Amen? Amen. And so oftentimes, he would work all night. He would come home, he would sleep for a few hours, and then I'd go into his room and he would spend a lot of time meditating. You see, this is how he grew up. He was seeking God to the knowledge that he knew best. And so here he was. Oftentimes I'd come in and I would see him there and he would just be meditating and sometimes my dad would just fall asleep and I knew he wasn't meditating. (laughs) And so I grew up with this just very um, unusual diversity in addition to being raised in a very tradition, in traditional Indian culture, I also, you know, as I said before, grew up in Southern California. So I was between the East and the West, right there in the middle. Inside my house smelled like curry, outside hamburgers. This is how I grew up. Now there's something about Indian people, and my brethren here can probably testify. There's one thing Indian parents love to do, and that is to stress academics. Amen? Amen. You get a B plus, you're in trouble. A minus, you're in trouble. You know, I mean, this is how I grew up. Oftentimes, uh, my sisters, you know, they were very smart. We'd, my parents would enter us into spelling bee contests. Go figure, right? Spelling bee contests. We would be dropped off at the library for fun. Other kids were going to Magic Mountain and Disneyland, and our parents would say, hey, we're going to drop you off at a very special place, and they would drop us off at the library. (laughs) And this is how I grew up. Um, My parents really, really stressed education to my family. They wanted their, their kids to be educated. My sisters were very, very smart. They were helping my dad with uh, his taxes in their preteens. My oldest sister, she graduated from law school. The other two sisters, they're podiatrists. They have a clinic together. I have another sister. You know, she's got her own business. Another brother, a brother who's got this million-dollar internet company. My family is um, very much um, reaping the benefits of an Indian-based education in America. I don't know how else to word that. And so this is how I grew up. But there was one black sheep in the family. He was the kid that would come home, and instead of studying, he would actually go to the the den, and he would play video games non-stop. Guess who that was? Yeah, it was me. And I was not interested in education at that time. I didn't care. I would go to school, and I said, okay, I'm just going to pass this really quickly. And I'd pass, and I would just make my way through school without, um, you know, trying very hard. And then something happened. At the age of 13, I love telling this story because it was just the power of a Christian witness. You know, in, down in Southern California, all the Indians get together. They celebrate India's Independence Day. Happens August 15th, when India was freed from British rule. And so all the Indians will come together, have this, like, amazingly, um, just very... Uh, again, I'm just running out of words today. I've spoken too much the last few days. 
powerful cultural show, okay? And where they have all these, you know, Indian dancers, they'll have this Indian program, and then you have all these booths that are set up where Indian businesses are advertising their businesses. And they give all sorts of free things. But all those free things oftentimes have the business name on it, right? You'll find a pencil that says, I love India, and then Sing Tax Accounting right next to it, right? <laughs> You'll find a gold in another booth, there's a free shirt that says, I love India, August 15th, freedom for all, Patel Janitorial Services, please call us. And so when I was 13 years old, I did something interesting. I was going around the booths and I was getting all the free things because they were free. I mean, you can't beat free, right? I mean, how much does that cost? Yeah, it's free. And so I was going around getting all these free things. But then all of a sudden, I came across a very unusual shaped booth. It was more than just a booth. It wasn't just a canopy and a table. It was a little boat. And there was little stairs leading into this boat. And so at the age of 13 with my little sister, I decided to go into this little booth. And I sat down because there was this little bench and there was this Caucasian lady, the only Caucasian lady for miles because of all the Indians that were there. <laughs> and she was giving Bible stories to these Indian children. I still wonder how she even got on the premises. <laughs> she was just there, and you know what she was doing? Telling people about Jesus. And all the Indian kids were there as well as myself, and you know, I was just thinking, okay, I'm in the wrong group right here. And so at the very end, I do remember one thing she said. She said, who would like to accept Jesus in their heart? None of the kids raised their hands. And so she appealed again. Who would like to accept Jesus in their heart? None of the kids raised their hand. Finally, she said, whoever accepts Jesus in their heart will get Jesus in their heart, will get this free Bible. And I remember one word. Do you know what word I remembered? Free. free. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's exactly right. I raised my hand, okay? She gave me that Bible. She actually signed her name on it. I still have that Bible, okay? Very first Bible I had. But it was so amazing. I did what most Christians do when they get a Bible. I took that Bible home and I put it in the bookshelf. I didn't look at it for many years. <laughs> you know that's truth. And so what happened is, as I continued to grow up, I never forgot these kinds of things, but I didn't think there was any purpose to it. At the age of 18, I graduated from high school, had this brilliant idea. I thought to myself, you know what? Instead of going to a, a university, I have to apply for all these scholarships. I've got a brilliant idea. I'm actually going to go to community college for two years, then transfer to a university. Let me tell you something. That is a deception. You want to know why I spent four years at that community college? <laughs> four years. Anybody ever been to a community college? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So... Four years I spent at this community college, but at the same time, I don't want to say it was a waste. Because as I was going to those classes, my heart began to undergo some strange experiences. I began to get really unusually empty about life. Because you see, in the Indian culture, you have an education. You grow up, you get a career, you get married. And after that... There's not much to life. And so this is what I was taught, that these things are the purposes of life. Now, I know that there are people very sincere all over the world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And people are doing the very best that they can. And so this is how I was raised up. But I thought to myself, there has to be something more to this. 
Do you know what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11? It says these words, God has put eternity in the heart of man. Now just think about that. God has put eternity in the heart of man. At that time, I didn't recognize what was going on in my life. I wasn't doing too well in school. I didn't like any of the classes that I was taking. But there was one class that I absolutely loved, and it was art history. I loved art history. Wasn't a very good artist, but I loved the history of the Renaissance age. And if you look at all the Renaissance paintings, there's a, a strong Christian theme that is running through those paintings during that um, age. And I would be so interested and so curious at these religious drawings. And I thought to myself, well, this is something strange. And I look at these pictures and I wonder to myself, what in the world do these things actually mean? Then, I decided in the year 1999, I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to apply to Cal State Fullerton. Anybody ever went to Cal State Fullerton? All right, you know what I'm talking about. I went to apply to Cal State Fullerton. And about that time, I began to do just a, a very interesting study in religions. I went to the library, go figure, right? <laughs> went to the library, began to look at various things on religion, on Hinduism. After, oftentimes, I'd actually go into my dad's library, and there was this voluminous library of books on meditation. I'd pick up these books on meditation, and I did the best I could to meditate, but something was not working. I knew something was, not, something was off. And so I began to go to the library. I checked out books on Hinduism, Buddhism, checked out books on Catholicism, checked out books on everything, the supernatural, because during that time, my heart was really searching for something more than what this world was offering. You know, oftentimes we characterize people that are kind of interested in those things as being of the devil. But in the midst of all that darkness that they may be involved in, there are hearts longing for something more than what they have. And so here I was, going through all these things. One day I came across this Christian book, it was about prophecy. And so I looked at this book and it had terms like the Antichrist and about the apocalypse and about revelation. I thought, oh, this is interesting. Never picked up a Bible at this moment. But then I began to read about the Antichrist and I thought, wow, this is amazing, the Antichrist. I was reading books about the Bible, but I never picked up the Bible. And so during that time, I thought to myself, I wonder what this stuff is all about. And so I went to one of my teachers one day and I said, hey, what is revelation? What is apocalypse? And he kind of looked at me with this puzzled look and he says, yeah, that's kind of like a, a book in the Bible. And yeah, it's a book in the Bible. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I actually took a religion class at Cal State Fullerton at that time. And, uh, you know, it was just very skeptical. The teacher was very skeptical of Christianity. I mean, it was not a very good experience for me. And so during this time, my heart was really searching and longing. But something happened. I started a new job at a wonderful retail store. It's called Kmart. <laughs> started a, a wonderful job at this place. Started off in the sporting goods department. Didn't know a single thing about fishing or hunting, or anything like that, right? And it was during this time I was studying, and I began to talk to various people about Bible prophecy. 
And one day I had this wonderful epiphany. I thought to myself, hey, I think the Antichrist, I think I know who that is. It's Saddam Hussein. <laughs> I mean, I really thought that. Never went to a church, had no Christian friends. In fact, when I was in college, I was really wanting to talk to Christians, but not a single one came up to me. I saw people even having Christian conversations one day. I thought to myself, I want to understand what they're talking about. I'm a burden for college students because that's where the Lord was really working on my heart. And so here I was, I was thinking about Bible prophecy. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't consider myself a Christian. In fact, one day I actually went into my dad's uh, closet of idols. And it's interesting. He had a, a statue of Buddha. He had a statue of Krishna. And he had a statue of Joseph and Mary. And the baby Jesus was missing. <laughs> and so I was there. And oftentimes I was trying to connect with this spiritual being. I had no clue. I remember I walked into my dad's closet. He wasn't there. I opened up and I said, God, whoever you are, I want you to bless me. I remember I saw a statue of Mary, and I said, Mary, please bless me. Talk to God for me. I saw the Buddha statue. I touched his belly a little bit. I didn't know what I was doing at that time. Seriously, I was really searching. My heart was really longing for something else. And this is extremely important, friends, because there are people all over the entire world. Do you know when the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham? Right? Do you know where Abraham came from? Ur of Chaldees. Do you know another name for Ur of Chaldees? Yeah, Babylon. When you actually study the message in Revelation chapter 18, the call to come out of Babylon, that is actually the call of Abraham. So those that come out of Babylon are heeding the call of Abraham. And that's why they're children of Abraham. Anyone who's responded to the call to come out of Babylon, to come out of confusion, is responding to the same call that Abraham did when he was coming out of Ur of Chaldees, out of idolatry, out of confusion, out of darkness, to follow Jesus. And so during this time, God was really tugging on my heart. Finally, I had this brilliant idea about Saddam Hussein. I said, I'm going to talk to people at my work about this. Went to one person in the, in the break room, and I sort of cornered, off, cornered them off, because there was only one entrance and exit to the break room. And I looked at them and I said, hey, by the way, Martha, I know who the Antichrist is. I mean, this is how I began the conversation. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, who, Anel? And I said, Saddam Hussein. Just like that. And she looked at me and she said, that's nice, honey. She wasn't interested. There was another guy, Ron. Cornered him in the break room one day and I said, hey, Ron, by the way, I came across this inf information. He said, what, buddy? I said, I know who the Antichrist is. And he said, Who? And I said, Saddam Hussein. And he said, that's nice, buddy. No one was interested. No one would even talk to me about these things. I had no clue of what I was talking about. Finally, there was a new person that started a, his work job at uh, Kmart. His name was Abraham. <laughs> of all names. He was in the break room one day. And I said, Abraham. He said, yes. I said, I know who the Antichrist is. He said, who? Saddam Hussein. And I had to get more serious every time I was saying it. <laughs> kind of being conviction. And without batting an eyelid, he just said these words. He's like, no, it's not Anel, it's the Pope. <laughs> I said, what? This was the first time, I mean, someone actually responded to me. 
I mean, this guy just said something absolutely fantastic, and I was like, what are you talking about? And I just like, I remember I raced over to the table, and what are you talking about? And he pulled out this little Bible. And for the first time in my entire life, somebody gave me a Bible study. Friends, I want you to understand something. You know, the Bible is a powerful book. I said this in my evangelistic series, and I'll say it again. The Bible is a real book about real people who had real experiences in real locations with the real God. This isn't just a, a book of myths or a book of philosophy. What you're dealing with is a very special book. And this book has been used for evil as much as it's been used for good. Amen? And God wants us to be able to share in the way that it was supposed to be shared with the love of God. And so here this young man begins to share, and I was like so excited. I said, I never heard this before. Now I want you to understand, so I'm putting pause right here. Something to understand about Abraham. Abraham actually grew up a Seventh-day Adventist, Christian. He got kicked out of academies because of his behavior. And his mom had been praying that God would send somebody he could witness to to revive his faith. And I was that answer to that prayer. She'd been praying for him. And it was so interesting because Abraham wasn't even baptized at that time. We actually both got baptized together. I actually got baptized before him. I got into baptism. He was baptized before him. I always tell people I got baptized before the guy that baptized or called me to baptism. And here we were, we both began to study the Bible. I remember we were pushing carts outside Kmart. And uh, I'd be like, hey, Abraham, hey, what happens to people when they die? Where do they go? And Abraham's like, all right, pulls out his little Bible. And he starts sharing with me. We were trying to make sure the managers weren't looking at us, both pushing the carts, as he had a little Bible on the cart, and he was just showing me verses. I had another friend who said, what are you guys talking about? I said, we're talking about Bible stuff. <laughs> that brother got baptized too. <laughs> All I did was I said, hey, hey, check a, take a good look at this stuff. He went home. The very next day, he went to his H, the HR manager. He said, I'd like to take Sabbath off. Wow. I mean, I, personally, I had this fear because I was thinking to myself, man, everyone here is becoming Adventists. <laughs> I mean, who's going to work on Saturdays at Kmart? I mean, we were witnessing. And then the decision came one day when Abraham sat me down in his car and we were right there in the parking lot. I said, Anel, let me ask you just one question. I said, what? He's like, have you ever accepted Jesus in your heart? And I said, no. Just like that. Because here's the thing. I knew a lot, getting to know a lot about prophecy and things about the Bible, but not the God of the Bible. And I said, no. And he says, would you like to pray the prayer of accepting Jesus in your heart? Would you like to get to know him? I said, yeah. We both bowed our heads in that car in a Kmart parking lot. This Hindu kid gave his life to Jesus. Led to the Lord by an unbaptized, struggling Seventh-day Adventist kid who got kicked out of an academy. I want you to understand something, friends. It wasn't a Doug Batchelor that won me to the Lord. It wasn't a Mark Finley that won me to the Lord or some Billy Graham-like person. It was a struggling Seventh-day Adventist kid that won me to the Lord. Because he saw someone who had some questions. He said, I'm going to share what God has given to me. But it was during this time, as I began to grow closer and closer to the Lord, 
I began to experience some things at the, with my family. Soon as I began to go to church on Sabbaths, it was very interesting because my family was just quite confused by what was going on. Soon they began to be upset at what was going on. And one day, when I was at, I was at work, I got the call. My sister was crying. She says, you need to get back to the house. Something's wrong with that. And I get there as the ambulance is taking him away. In fact, even as they were doing CPR on him, and they're not supposed to say this, I could hear the tech, the um, emergency tech said, I can't revive him. Jumped in the car with my family, followed after the ambulance, and they pronounced him dead. Pronounced my dad dead. First funeral I ever went to. And it's very interesting. In the Indian culture, there are certain days of the year that when someone actually dies on those days, your whole family is cursed. My dad actually died on one of those days. And so my uncles from India were so like just, you know, scared and anxious about the whole thing. They actually dispatched a a priest from India who came. So during my dad's funeral, they were doing this sort of counter spell to that curse that supposedly was upon my family. I mean, I just got baptized at that time. And here I am going through the worst experience in my entire life at that moment. I just lost my dad. And the thing about my dad is that he was somebody who wasn't a Christian, but he was very open-minded. In fact, when we were younger, you know what he would do during Christmas time? He says, we're going to watch a movie about Jesus. I mean, that's how I first began to hear about Jesus. Never forgot one day we went to a park, and there was a church service outside. He actually sat down at that church service while I was playing on the playground. And just to let you know a little bit more about how God was leading, Sundays, my dad would actually take me and drop me off at this church where they had this kids program. Came back later when I became an Adventist and it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. I mean, there were so many things that were taking place. In fact, a few months before my dad passed away, he turned to me one day when we were driving and he says, Anel, I'd like to go to church with you. And I was so embarrassed at first. So ashamed about talking about Christianity. The very day my dad died, I remember that morning I saw him. He was just throbbing headache. And I just prayed. I said, Lord, please take this away. That was my prayer for my dad as I walked away that morning. And the next time I saw my dad, he was dead. Friends, I want you to understand something about your parents. More and more I'm starting to understand this doesn't matter what's happened. They are your parents. And they can be candidates for the kingdom. It's the first commandment with the promise. Amen? Amen. And so during this time, I began just to be, uh, I began to finish up my education. I was thinking to myself, man, I'd be interested in going to law school. My family, they said, hey, we want you to do computer science. Co-figure, right? (laughs) And I said, I don't want to do computer science. And they said, you shouldn't do law school. And so here I was between these two choices, and I was praying. And say, one night something happened. I got on my knees, and I was praying from 9 p.m. all the way to midnight, three hours straight. I never forgot, as soon as it was midnight, something happened in my mind as I was just praying by the side of my bed. All of a sudden, these words came to my mind, missionary school. I remember I got up, and I thought, what is that? I picked up the phone, called Abraham at about 12.30 a.m., And I said, Abraham, we need to go to missionary school. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, I'll call you in the morning, bro. Called him in the morning. I said, hey, bro, we need to go to missionary school. 
He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll go talk to the pastor. He talks to the pastor. Then we both sat down with the pastor, and the pastor said to us, he said, there is a missionary school. It's called Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. And you know what we're going to do as a church? We're going to fund the whole thing for you two young men. How many churches do that today? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, so this is what I was so excited, and I was like, oh my goodness, God is working. But I had to make a decision, that was to leave my family's home. Because you see something, in the Indian culture, the firstborn son has a very heavy responsibility after the father dies to raise the family. And I was struggling so much in my heart, and my spirituality was going through ups and downs. And I didn't know what to do. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do at this very moment. As soon as I said that prayer, I walked downstairs. And my mom was doing something quite strange. She actually was taking off my house key. And she took it. You're gone. And I said, okay, Lord. Left with my, family, with my friend. And we both went up to Northern California where we went to Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the first time I'm actually surrounded by a lot of Christian people, a lot of Christian happy people. (laughs) I mean, and they began to talk about God all the time in all the classes. And I said, this is amazing. I actually love Christian education. And it sort of brought out the bigger purposes of life. You see, I want you to understand something. And one day I was actually speaking before some Hindus and some Muslims at a school in India. And I told them this. I said, look, is there purpose in marriage? They said, yes. I said, you're right. I said, is there purpose in careers? They said, yes, you're right. I said, is there purpose in children? They said, yes. I said, you're right. I said, is there purpose in just pursuing things of the world? They said, yes. And I said, you're right. But then I said, without the grand purpose, though, of knowing who this creator is, these other purposes will fall apart one day. As I begin to understand the bigger purposes in life, and I realize, man, God was really working in my life. Things began to change. God began to change in my heart what I could not change, what other people could not change. And so I began to make these changes. Coming down to the very end of it, I thought to myself, by the way, i got to tell you this funny story. You're going to laugh, but it's very, very important. People would talk to me about the clothing I'd wear. I used to wear very baggy clothing. Okay, like I'm a size 36, size 34 before potluck. <laughs> and um, oftentimes people say, yeah, you got to change your clothes. You know, you got to do this. You got to look like one of us. I said, I got to do that. That's not who I am. I wore these baggy clothes, size 44 pants. <laughs> I go to church in size 44 slacks and then a dress shirt. I mean, just think how that looks, okay? <laughs> size 44 pants and then a little dress shirt. You know, my little slim body, size 44. You can fit me into one of those pant holes. <laughs> and one day, God taught me a lesson. I was driving with my friend, and my friend, he loves to pass out literature. He says, Anel, you see those people over there? Go pass out some literature. I was wearing these super baggy Adidas pants. I said, all right. Walked out there, just like this, exactly what happened, okay? No joke. Walked out there. The wind blew and my pants just dropped. (laughs) And it took everything down with it. 
I picked up my, I'm just telling the truth. There's a practical reason about the dress mess. I picked up the pants like this. I looked at the guy and I handed him the pants just like this. Handed him the literature. And I, he had his little kid with him, okay? And I remember he just like looking at me and he just got in the car. And I pulled up my pants and I got in. I'm like, drive, bro, drive. Let's get out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. We drove, okay? Can you imagine that? I mean, here he is. He's coming home to his wife and he's like, hey, I got this literature from a naked guy. <laughs> you know what I vowed after that moment? I said, I am not going to wear baggy pants. God changed my mind that day. <laughs> humble yourselves before the Lord has to humble you. There's a practical reason to these things. Amen? Amen. That's always good. Keep a belt just in case, right? So I began to change. Different things began to change. I mean, I had crazy hair. I dyed my hair all sorts of colors. When I first showed up, I mean, it was interesting. I actually had multicolored rubber bands. At one time, I actually shaved the rest of my head, and I had these bangs. Remember bangs used to be in style? Dyed them red. Then I would braid them, okay? And, you know, things begin to, and God had multiple ways of teaching me about my hair as well. And so things begin to change, and God began to really transform my heart. And it was just an interesting experience during that time. At the very end of it, I said, Lord, I want more schooling. I don't want to go back home. I'm not ready to go back home. I want more of this. And so it came down to the end of that four-month evangelism school. And so I said, I'm going to apply to different Adventist schools. So I applied to all of them. I applied to, uh, I applied to Andrews. I applied to Southern. I applied to Walla Walla. Even last year, I applied to all of them. I applied to every one of them. And you know what they all said? They all said, we accept you. We accept you. You've done all your transfer units. You are welcome into our college. I said, wonderful. Until I continue reading the application. And they wanted a lot of money. A lot of money. At this time, I was under the age of 24. At that time, you actually needed your parents' signature on the financial aid application. And she was not going to sign that. So I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. Coming down to the very end of those four months, I got on my knees and I was praying and I was pleading. I was fasting. And I decided, man, what am I going to do? I'm going to stay here. Or if I go home, I'm going to perish spiritually. There was just a lot of agitation with my uncles and other dynamics that were there. Last time I went there, there was a, a lot of altercations at that time because I became a Christian. And so I didn't want to go home. I wasn't ready. Then one of my friends came up to me and they said, you should go to another school. I said, what school is that? They said, Weimar College. I said, I don't want to go to that school. I mean, I had my reasons for that. And at that school, it was just, it was just a few miles away. And I said, I don't want to go. And they said, you should really think about it. Finally, I said, okay, I'm going to go there. I went there, and then I talked to the financial, financial um, aid lady, and you know what she said? She said, all right, you're going to need money to get into the first quarter, but it's not as much money as the other colleges. I said, okay, what am I going to do? Went back to my room where I was at, stayed on my knees, began to pray on the very day the money was due. I remember I had fasted that morning, and I was pleading with God. And around noontime, all of a sudden, I get the phone call. This is interesting. Get a phone call, and it's from this lady I had been doing a Bible study. And out of the blue, she says these words. She said, Anel, I have money for your college. Wow. I was like, what? She's like, I have money for your college. And I said, I'm coming over to your house right now. Picked her up. We actually went to the college. She paid for my first semester. Wow. 
And I got in, I was like, man, this is amazing. It didn't just stop there. Came down to the uh, beginning of summer, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a camp counselor for the summer. Nothing wrong with being a camp counselor. At the very last day of that first semester, walked in to the, the finance lady, and she said, no, I want you to know something. That down payment got you into college, but now you have a lot of debt. She said, you took a lot of classes. And she says, you're not going to be able to register for school for next semester after the summer unless this debt is paid off, and then you need at least a down payment for that. I said, okay. And then I thought, I'm going to be a camp counselor. And so I began to say, okay. I began to prepare. Somebody came and talked to me. She says, Anel, you need to do canvassing, call portering. I said, I'm not going to do that. I sold candy bars when I was younger, door to door, and that terrified me. She said, you need to do call portering. And she began to talk and pray with me. And finally, she convinced me about this. She said, all right, you need to do this. And so I made the decision. I said, okay, God, I'll do this. I'm not happy about this. She says, I'll find you a place to go. And this is already a week into the summer. Sure enough, she found a slot down in Southern California. It's actually where I met my good friend Jed right there. He was 14 years old. I was 24. I was the oldest, and he was the youngest in that group. (laughs) Everyone else was in between. And so I did that canvassing, and it was a powerful summer. And let me tell you something. I came to the end of that powerful summer of ministry, not even doing what the average call porters had made during that summer. I remember I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to do next? And so I remember that morning I was there, and I picked up the phone, and I was like trembling to call the finance lady. And I said, hello? And she said, hi. And I said, this is Anel. And she says, Anel, how are you doing? I said, doing good. She says, yeah, what's going on? I said, I just want to find out about my semester. And she said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, the day you left, she said, I got this anonymous donor. She called, she paid off all of last semester. I go, wow, that's amazing. And then she says, you want to know what else? I said, what? She just called right before you did. And she paid off next semester. I was like, whoa, that is amazing. And it's interesting because I had friends whose dads were dentists who were paying off their entire school year, and my heavenly father was doing it layaway payments, right? (laughs) But these payments, God was teaching me faith. He was stretching me. You see, God owns the cattle on the hill, Amen? amen? And he provides as he sees fit. And so he felt it was necessary semester by semester to teach me the lesson of faith and trust at that time. And sure enough, it really was a stretch for me. But every semester, I was praying, I was pleading, I was fasting. And semester after semester, God kept providing. Even at the very last semester, a lot of money was due. Went to the finance lady, and she says, Anel, a lot of money is due. You're not going to be able to graduate unless this is paid off. But then she says, I've seen God work so much. We're going to pray. I said, all right, we prayed. Walked away exactly one hour later. She calls me. She said, Anel, get to my office right now. And I raced as fast as I could to the office. And she said, you're not going to believe this. And I loved when she said that. (laughs) She said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, I just got a call right now from somebody. She said, that person, I didn't call them whatsoever. She said, they felt impressed to call and to donate to your school bill. I said, wow, that's amazing. And she says, but this is the most impressive part. I said, what? The woman said she felt impressed exactly one hour ago when she was praying. Do you know what we were doing one hour ago? 
Yeah, we were in praying. We were praying, right? We were in praying. We were praying, right? We were praying, and at the very moment we were praying, God was in the process of answering. Amen? Amen? God is good. You see, I grew up trying to connect with the divine, trying to connect, you know, with this, you know, you know, heavenly bliss. But more and more, God began to teach me about who he is and the personal nature of who he is. And I began to discover more and more about this God. And step by step, God began to lead me. Came down to the end of my school year, had graduated, and I said, okay, Lord, where do you want me to be next? And I get this call to work in Arroyo Grande near Pismo Beach. I was a youth pastor for a year and a half. That was a wonderful experience. Coming down to the end of it, I said, okay, God, where do you want me to be next? I said, Lord, I want your will. I want your will. You've led so much, and you made it very clear where I need to be. I get this call. We want you to be a part of this youth evangelism team in the conference. Travel around up and down California doing week of prayers and, you know, youth revival weekends, you name it. And I loved it. Did it for two years. Led the last year. Coming down to the end of it, I said, okay, Lord, where do you want me to be next? And I was praying and pleading. You see, here's the thing, friends. And this is such an important lesson to understand. You know, when you look at Noah's life and you look at the boat that he built, God gave him the directions on that boat, didn't he? Told him the width, the length, right? He told him the material to use. He even told him how to build this thing. God himself even filled the boat for Noah. But if you were to take that boat and you would take it to a modern-day boat maker, you know what he would say? That's the worst boat in the entire universe. Why? There's no oars to that boat. No motor. No sails. But it was the only boat that survived. Why? God was guiding it. At the end of time, the reason why the 144,000 keep their eyes on Jesus, they followed the Lamb wheresoever He goes. And so God began to lead. Came down at the end of that evangelism, two-year stint. And I get this call, and it was a calling to be an associate pastor. And I said, okay, I'll do that. But God led me into that. Did that for a few years. Then I got called to be the senior pastor of that church. Was doing that. Then the Lord began to lay a burden on my heart a few years ago to start a church plant. And God kept leading in these things. No glory to Anel Kanda. I have zero abilities. It's about availability, availability, isn't it? And so we started a church plant and God's been doing some wonderful things. Coming down just to a few months ago. I get this unusual just call from somebody. They said, hey, we want you to be, we want you to do an uh, you know, evangelistic series at this church. And I said, oh yeah, I don't have time for that. Got off the phone. Something was just not right in my heart. And I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to do that, you're going to have to make this very clear. An hour later, I get a call from the conference. And they said, no, we want you to know something. I said, what? We just put your name in for the conference evangelism position. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll be praying about that. I got off the phone, I was like, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what are you up to, God? And sure enough, through a series of providences, God led me to do that, and so that's where I'm at right now. And you're part of my evangelism, because here I am. Amen? Amen. Amen. Part of my testimony. Amen. Friends, I want you to understand something. God is doing something wonderful at the end of time. Amen. I love what Ellen White says. She says, God wants to do more right now than he's ever done before. Just think about that. At the very end of time, here we are, we're coming down to the very end of time. I mean, we're not going to see sort of a cessation or a pulling back of God's power. 
At the very end of time, God's taking the gloves off, friends. And he wants to do a powerful thing that's not been done before. Amen? Amen? And this world, sooner or later, will hear about the powerful gospel truth. And it will belt the entire world. And the world will hear the same call that came to Abraham, which is to come out of confusion. My people. My people. God's people. Friends, God has people everywhere. God has people everywhere. He has people in the remnant church. He has people outside the remnant church. That's why he says, come out of her, my people. He has a visible church. He has an invisible church. And what God is trying to do at the end of time, he's calling all those that are open to his voice, to hear the mighty call, to follow him. To follow him. Doesn't matter where your experience has been up to this point. Or the roller coaster of emotions. Or how bad people have treated you. Today, this moment, can be the beginning of a brand new experience. You guys are leaving tomorrow. I'm leaving tomorrow. We're coming off that hill. And friends, God wants us to leave with the assurance and the hope. He is leading our life. God is in charge of my life. God's in charge of my life. We're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to hear all the wonderful stories, all the testimonies, all the beautiful pictures. One day I walked into a church, I saw this unusual looking mosaic. And I'm interested in art, so that's interesting. Came a step closer and it was a mosaic of a face. Took a step closer and it was a mosaic of Jesus. Took another step closer. And the little pieces that made up the face of Jesus were pictures of the church members. You see, friends, there is not another you. Did you know we have learned something about who God is from the life of Abraham? Do you know we have learned something about who God is from the life of Moses? From the life of Elijah? In other words, God is revealed through the lives of these people. We understand more about God. The Bible is a a book of stories, individual stories. And it's the connect, the, the, the compilation of all these stories that we have this picture of God emerging. But friends, I want you to understand something. When you are not in heaven, there's a part of God that will not be seen. There's a part of God that will be missing. Sure enough, I believe that, you know, what we'll have obviously will satisfy us throughout eternity. But when God works in someone's life, there's this angle or perspective of the beauty and glory of God that's revealed that cannot be revealed in another person's life. God through that individual. Friends, heaven is worth it. Amen? Heaven is worth it. And God will see us there if we trust and say, Lord, today at this moment, I'm giving you everything again. I'm laying it down, surrendering, just putting it out to the Lord. 
you lead me step by step. What we're going to do right now, sing this very special song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Amen. And I invite you just to stand. And as this song is being sung, I love appeals, even when they come from little old ladies. During Indian Independence Day, just telling people about Jesus. And this appeal is just going to be very simple and sweet. Lord, I'm trusting you again with this life. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you are trustworthy. And Lord, no one desires our good as much as you do. Thank you that your plans, the thoughts that you have for us are greater than our own. Thank you, God, that the goodness of God endures forever. Lord, right now, we just give ourselves to you. Lord, there are things that are going to happen when we come off this hill. But Lord, we pray and ask that you would guide us in every way. Our decisions, our plans, our ambitions, our hopes, our dreams. And Lord, whatever it takes, that you would see that we and our family and our friends are in heaven one day to see you, Lord, and spend eternity with you. Thank you, God, for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.